0: This is Recovery, a special series of Sandton Times conversations with leading academics, thought leaders, strategists, and authors designed to help small to medium-sized businesses on the front line with ideas, tips, and practical advice on how to survive and thrive during these challenging economic times. We would love to hear from you, so email editor at santontimes.co.za with your feedback. You can connect with us on social media using Santan Times can visit the blog, www.sansontimes.co.za. And don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a review or rating with Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and SoundCloud. We encourage you to share the series. Uh, We're sure many can benefit with some of the insights we'll be uncovering today. Joining me now is my guest, the Dean and Director of Henley Business School Africa, and he is Jonathan Foster-Pedley. Well, Jonathan, let's dive uh, straight into it. Uh, I'd be fascinated to hear what uh, your first-hand experience has been with uh, businesses and business owners in, uh, in this time of a pandemic.
1: Well, it's obvious. Really, the first thing people are worried about is uh, their customers' their cash flow and uh, what on earth are they are going to do to, quite a, quite a lot of cases, to transform from face-to-face to more virtual businesses. In some cases, it's possible, and in some cases, it's not. And then what do you do when you don't have a revenue coming in? How are you going to survive? What are your strategies you can do to use the virtual environment to build client bases, or you can use the time to build your own skills? So a difficult time, but one which, uh, with some good collaboration, government support, and some sensible scaling down, if you need to, we hope we'll be able to get through.
0: The word of the year has probably been the word unprecedented, along with a lot of other uh, other words. But it's the kind of thing that uh, you would have not learned at university or at school or even at or uh, master's degree. I mean, managing this kind of situation as a business is is really uh, unique.
1: Yeah, you, you wouldn't have learned it in traditional education systems, but you should have learned it in good education systems, if I may say that. <laughs> What you're looking at is, is a black swan event, certainly. But on the other hand, it's not something that was unforeseeable. And like in every situation like this, you will have heard people, Bill Gates and others, saying this is inevitable, it's going to happen. So what we need to do is cultivate ways of thinking and the deeper skills that are not so much about knowledge and sort of cognitive clarity, but about preparedness and understanding how to adapt to circumstances and use those circumstances. You'll, you'll get more wisdom about dealing with these from the ancient uh, Asian cultures and you will from the modern capitalist ones.
0: Well, one of the things, you know, I wanted to focus on during this uh, this particular series was walk away or move away from the doom and gloom information, which is has its place. You know, people need to stay up to date as to kind of what's happening and where it's going. But really focusing on how do we now take the next step and focus on recovering. You know, we, we're going to be in a, in, a, in a world where for the foreseeable future, I think it's past 21 days, life is going to be different, business is going to be different. Uh, and what are some of the more practical uh, steps or sort of the first things that you kind of impart with people to kind of get moving and get moving forward?
1: I think there's three steps. And, and the first step, if you go back to that old Covey grid, which is about, you know, things that are highly important and less important, the things that are highly urgent, and less urgent you know everyone's got to work on a highly important highly urgent things and the first thing is what on earth are you going to do to manage your business where you've suddenly perhaps lost a lot of your clients and so you've got to go through a set of scenarios and um, you know i was brought up in a cold climate and in cold climates if you, if you get stuck out in the cold you, you suffer from something called exposure What happens is that uh, to keep you alive, the blood comes in from extremities and keeps your core alive and and you get frostbite, etc. But you survive. And in a sense, it's the same metaphor for businesses. There are things you have got to withdraw from, but you've got to keep the core alive so you can rebound strongly. So do some scenarios about what's possibly going to happen and then understand how you can cut your costs. And at the same time, you can engage businesses and clients in more imaginative ways. The most important thing to do, secondly, having looked at those urgent um, requirements to manage your cash flow, etc. And for those, I would really seek for advice, both online and in person. The next thing you have to do is really understand the context we're living in. And this is where you have to, I think, look at what COVID means, look at the profiles of the disease, study what's happening in China, Italy, the U.S., U.K., And just understand what's going to happen. Read the Imperial College report or the summaries of it which you'll find in the Financial Times. Read up the report that came out on Boston Consulting Group recently about the possible effect of COVID in emerging countries. Read up the report that was produced by Oxford University on that, um, that COVID might have been spread further in the population. From these reports, you can quite easily see what the profile will be. And it 's quite clear twenty one days lockdown is is not going to be enough to get rid of the virus, and even if it's, even if we come out of it then we're we're into a, a social distancing regime of, of health and, and care that's going to last quite some time so we're looking at a six to eight month major transition in business and you've got you 've really got to understand what that means so once having understood the terrain, you can start to develop your strategies and it is completely you cannot listen to fake facts. You have to get online. You have to do this work yourself. You have to find reputable resources. And you have to believe you can understand it because it has been described in such a way by Guardian, Financial Times, International Press, that it's quite comprehensible and you can make sense. From there, you've got to look at the reality of the scenarios. And it's true, you may have to downsize, you may have to lay off stuff, you may have to cut stuff down. But those are scenarios that are like like the blood withdrawing from extremes you're trying to keep the body alive what you really need to do is get in a position where you're going to spring back in a very resilient way and for that we have to think of new business models and the most obvious new business model is is entering into the virtual world that we all if you're not already there we all have to learn how to deliver virtually how to how to engage with clients virtually how to commit to national purpose right Rather than just your business purpose, because everyone's more interested in that than your little business at the moment, and you're more likely to build loyalty and collaboration with people if you're working on things that matter to everybody. Those are some of the broad issues. We we at Henley Business School, and um, we you know we had a pretty good inkling of what was going to happen, and so ten days before the lockdown, we'd already transferred to completely virtual delivery, and it's working really well. And what we learned from that was that a whole load of our sacred cows and um, were just not sacred at all. We initially believed, well, it's going to be really hard to do good online education. It really isn't. Uh, you could do phenomenal online education with imagination and effort. And in some ways, it's even better than the face-to-face. And the pace of innovation has really um, hammered at us. And if you step into that, you're going to enter into the new world post-COVID, because COVID will end, into a much stronger position than if you imagine that the old normal is going to come back.
0: I gather you've had a lot of conversations with uh, some of your major uh, clients, a lot, a lot of companies that do uh, business with you that send a lot of their staff there for all kinds of different training and, and upskilling. Uh, wh- what kind of reaction are you getting from them? What kind of sense are you getting from from, from a lot of these companies? Do you find that uh, it's a time where a lot of people are saying, this is the time that we need to invest in education. We need to use this time carefully to upskill, to reskill, to, to kind of change the way we think? Or is everyone just sort of holding back and saying we're just going to sit here and wherever the ship takes us we're just going to drift along
1: well i think most most of the clients that we're talking with julian have have been enormously conscious of what's going on and, and have acted really really well i think for everyone there was a sense of it's not going to happen to us it's happening in china why would it be here it'll never get there. It was absolutely mathematically obvious it would. What everyone is trying to do is, is look at the disease when we're in this and how we survive. So those large clients we're dealing with mostly have acted with with good foresight. They've kept people employed. They've taken them out of the workplace. They've maintained the education that they are doing. It's a little harder now because uh, as people understand, this lockdown is probably going last longer and, and the world has changed, that they're going to have to rethink their business models. So they're pulling people back a bit um, somewhat out of training to do that. But the reality is that that everybody's learning new things. So the clever business schools and the clever consultancies and the clever businesses, and this is where there's a great gap for small businesses, is to provide um, thought and capability and services that help through this transition. One of the transition issues is around psychological resilience and just emotional welfare is hugely important that we work on that so more coaching more therapy more exercise more wellness that's that's a really big thing the second thing is is how do you get people collectively to think well about a situation that's unprecedented uh, it's got levels of complexities that are bewildering but yet with a little bit of distance from you can see will end and it's not that difficult to see where we're going to end up afterwards. The transition into virtual and online is going to be, in many cases, irreversible. You've seen businesses emerge and all the classic examples like Uber, et cetera, et cetera, you know, have seen to transform. That's going to, those sort of methodologies are going to be the standard for most businesses now. The clever companies are now deciding to enlist more learning and to to help people navigate them through the transition cognitively, psychologically, and with um, education methods. And that's where we're able to come in as, as a business school. We're, we're helping numbers of companies and we're, we're bringing people together to talk about you know, what this situation means. We're sense-making, we're helping people learn how to sense-make, and we're helping people learn how to innovate in real time. What people are going to discover is that these attributes were always latent within them, as if, if they weren't conscious of them. They're going to have to deal with their own imposter syndrome, saying, I'm not a creative, I can't think I can't be imaginative like saying I'm not an artist. Of course, we all are creative. And they're going to discover new capabilities in them. Um, That's going to be important. Uh, But the next thing is that unless we work together through this, we're going to end up with an economy that's that's too deeply shattered to easily recover. So we all have a mandate, really, and a duty to persist and keep our businesses moving and innovating, hugely collaborate with each other to make the context healthier, the business context healthier. We collaborate to keep the business context alive and growing, and then we can compete when we get out the other end of it uh, to share the pie
0: afterwards. I think the the right kind of attitude to have, the sort of spirit of, of collaboration and, and kind of creating a new economy together because I think if everyone starts pulling into different directions, uh, you know, we're not going to be left with very much. I, I want to quickly take a, a sidestep from uh, focusing purely on small and, and medium-sized businesses and 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 have a quick look at the, the individual that's been sitting in uh, bigger companies in, in corporate South Africa that might be facing retrenchment, that might be facing um, less pay. A lot of people have had to take pay cuts, or they've had to uh, take unpaid leave. And Henley's been uh, sort of on the forefront of unearthing the, the side hustle and the gig economy in, in South Africa. Are you finding a lot of individuals that you've engaged with or sort of come across now falling back onto that uh, side hustle that was maybe a little bit of a, a creative idea, or now becoming something that could actually become a, a real survival uh, tool?
1: Absolutely. And I think there's two things there. First is the actual side hustle people have may or may not be appropriate for this particular circumstance. Now, if it is appropriate, i.e. is it digitizable? Is it, um, can it reach people when they're at home because you have a wonderfully captive audience in in the worst possible circumstances now, in a sense, if it is that, then you can, you can advertise. Doctors are going online. Coaches are musicians lawyers i mean everybody is finding online ways of delivering discovering in that that there are enormous merits in doing it i mean why on earth are we traveling so much you know you go to a meeting in samson from you know midrand or somewhere you know it's a 45 minutes there you've got to park you stagger into your meeting (laughs) you have your half an hour 45 minute meeting you have got another 40 you know it's three hours of your day gone where you could have just done it in 45 minutes and you can now connect so much easier with people internationally so there is some people's side hustles work, but the the big thing that has been important is the capacity to to side hustle, is the hustling mentality, and I don't mean hustling in in the con artist sort of way of doing. It. I mean in the capacity to deal with fast moving circumstances and manage them, to adjust to them. Uh, we found that we've done a lot of scholarships for creatives, for example, and and. Some of the performing musicians we've had have not only been some of the brightest people we've ever had on our MBAs and our comedians like John Fismos, but they're also enormously able to work in fast-moving circumstances and are able to slip into building new businesses and help build an emerging economy um, much better, almost, than some of the people who have been imbued with the stability and the expectations of working in very large companies so the ability to side hustle suddenly comes to the fore the ability to change direction seize opportunity find out what people need provide that value to them because this is not a time where you can sell something desperately just to keep yourself going you you really need to sell something that people need it's going to help also them survive after this and also going to help build our economy if you find that magic uh, sort of that niche, you're going to do very well in these circumstances and you're going to rebound very well after. Side hustling used to be sort of demonized as um, moonlighting, a bad, bad thing. It turns out that side hustling actually, uh, people, companies that allow their, their employees to side hustle get more loyalty from those people. They tend to keep them on average longer. Those people who are able to side hustle come back more engaged with more ideas, more innovations you never had to pay for. And are generally enthusiastic, energised people at work. So the, the side hustlers themselves get anything between, I can't remember the exact figure. I think it's twelve to thirty-five, four percent more income. They have to put less time into that income over uh, over the years, so they they get tend to get more income for less effort over time. And the other paradox is that on average, they work more hours in their core job anyway so because this is um, exciting for them and interesting they just energize and and work doesn't seem quite like work in the same way so it's a really wonderful time to throw yourself into side hustling as as an approach to life because the the economy will and must change we're we're a deeply untransformed economy it's almost the same structure as it was 20 years ago whereas you look at places like vietnam rwanda korea they've transform the dynamics and the structure of the economy in terms of the sectors they deal with. They become very high-tech, multiple sectors, very interdependent, clever clusters. Whereas South Africa has stayed digging things out the ground and selling them and making cars and agriculture. Great things, but it's not a transformed economy. And it's not an economy that's future fit either. So this will propel people into those new skills and and new adventures and allow them to reach out in the world. So I really do think that that side hustling mentality can enormously help us now. You mustn't stigma... Yourself, or I think it's terrible to do that. You're not being disloyal to anyone. The chances are, I mean, if you take your company, and your resources, and time and don't tell people about it, that is unethical. But generally speaking, if you do it outside your work and bring the innovations you found back into your workplace, you're going to find that it's a win win for everybody. And it's certainly a win for an emerging economy going through such deep transitions as we are now. Well,
0: you touched on something very interesting uh, now. And I, and I have this feeling that we're going to have a lot of business leaders, you know, ca- getting back to their their old office or their old building at some point and looking at everything and going, what were we doing with all of this stuff? What were we doing with this palace? What were we doing with all these meeting rooms? And and that we might actually just see a, a scaling down of a physical business and, and redirecting all of that back to what we've been doing for the last couple of weeks.
1: Well, I think there's some very deep existential things happening anyway. I mean, the fact that we have a virus... That is a protein, fundamentally covered with a bit of fat and some waving arms. It's not really a living being. That only only thing it wants to attach to your upper respiratory tract it does not see race, status, anything. It just sees that, leveling all of us. And the only way we can collectively survive this, even if we lock ourselves into our privileged homes, for example, you know, the fact is you're not going to escape from this because. It will be everywhere. And whether you escape from the disease yourself, the economic consequences of a mass of a, of a mass and fast um, inf- in infection will be devastating. So because this is a great leveller, it does force people to think about what it is they're doing in their lives and, and really what is a quality life, what does thriving mean? It, it isn't the acquisition of wealth, although there's nothing wrong with money at all. In fact, money is a tremendous thing. We actually all need to learn to use money better. And we need people who use massive amounts of money really, really well. So it doesn't stick to them. You know, that 1.1.5 trillion rand that's gone stolen could be well used now for ventilators and masks and isopropyl and testing and all those sort of things. Absolutely, the corrupt, Corruption has, has, has ripped away defenses from the poor. It hasn't affected the rich. And that's what we can now starkly see. It's absolutely uncountenanceable that we will continue to accept corrupt practices anymore because we can see the social and uh, impact on all of us. If, if we can only thrive, and none of our kids can thrive unless all of our kids can thrive in the future. So, what COVID has done is, is made us see these immediate consequences and understand the interdependence of the economy. What that means, of course, is that we we start to think about. What it is that makes a decent South Africa and a thriving South Africa cannot have the highest Gini coefficient in the world, which it has at the moment. The, the greatest difference between rich and poor. How can how can a country with those dynamics possibly survive? So we have to swallow a lot of bitter pills now. Who we support politically, we have to think carefully about. We need to support people who've got the right agenda, who basically have got good characters, not bad. Those people need to be lifted and allowed to. They need to be. Emphatically supported um, with all our energies to help them do they're imperfect people, but to help them do the right job. We need to absolutely understand that we have locked up in poverty, we have some of the most capable people in the world. In our MBA program, we're 80% black, we're 55 percent women, they're they're assessed offshore by a triple international accredited MBA, one of the leading ones in the world. And those people do as well, if not better with their backstories, and where they've come from, than the French, the Chinese, the British. You know, so we've got all the capability we want here. We just kind of don't believe it. and We haven't unlocked it. So we've got to find cheap education methods, alternative education methods, lifelong education that's going to train people. Stop thinking of education as doing a degree and that's it. We have to learn all our lives. And so digital methods um, to help learning stop thinking of education as something separate in the education sector we're learning all the time we have to help people learn and adjust invent we have to build the creative sectors because it's shown that the creativity creative activities drive new forms of innovation that are massively transformational in terms of infrastructure and mindset so we've got a possibility to do something phenomenal with South Africa now and I think that people will go back to those offices and um, if they do settle in comfortably you know uh, in the old way then then heck let's not let them settle in comfortably let's create an activist movement here that's going to build the sort of south africa that's fair and decent that we all all, of, all our heroes would have wished it to be and there's nobody else to do that except us as you and me and the people who are listening we're the only ones who can do this so now's the time to get out there and start building that right south africa and the challenges of the course are huge in terms of um demographics of poverty of unemployment but the only way through it really is is fast, capable business activity supported by government that helps people grow jobs, helps people build employment, that that we need to develop aid, get aid in from international bodies. We we certainly need to do that for a while. But it's a dynamic business sector that is not about building profit per se, although that's important, but about building prosperity and understanding what a quality of life is um, that can make that happen. We, we, we thought thought business is all about profit, and of course it must be profitable. But business is really about the value we create for people in their lives and making a better world. People give you money for that, which drives the profit. The profit uh, needs to be well used to invest to keep on building those values. So I think we have a chance now to get great people around the table and become powerfully activists to construct the Africa we want.
0: On that point, I, I would uh, hazard a guess that... Uh, The big organizations, the big corporates, uh, probably a lot of the the brands that you also engage with on a daily basis uh, should possibly also have a look at uh, their procurement or the way they do business going forward, possibly redirecting some of that um, spend that they would, uh, you know, give to to major service providers, maybe look at uh, small to medium-sized businesses, maybe starting to fulfill that and and, and maybe lift them up in, in the process?
1: Yeah, it's, it's very difficult in a hyper-competitive environment for companies to deliberately take on risk in their supply chain for quality and delivery and length and whatever. Um, and that's has always been a story i remember going back to 94 95 i remember the the big story about the spring box the equity versus excellent argument that appeared you know should we put people in who are not quite as experienced because of their background into the spring box and potentially lose games or should we keep with the best players and it was ferocious but that's that that thought is still playing out reality is our best players you know the captain, you know, many others. There's no difference in in really in in skin color or race in terms of performance. After a while, you know, there is a difference in access to education, which is an access to opportunity, an access to apprenticeship, an access to understanding the nature of things that 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 is socio-economic and tied up with skin color. Of course, it is, but foundationally and in the end, there is none. So we've actually got to aggressively. Um, give people opportunities, support middle range companies as well, not just the emerging ones, because middle range ones have been through a lot of learning and have got some stability and make sure that the majority of the population get access to not only great education, but the opportunities to to build businesses or be part of good businesses as well. And and this is something I don't think we talk about enough is the middle-sized companies who've built up and they've got capabilities, we can grow those into much more powerful entities. And it's the German model as well. It's a middle-sized family business that's often been very big in the, in the growth of the economy. Um, they will create employment for us too. We need to help people study while they earn, you know, earn while they learn. You know, we, we you know, Get people into some form of work and maybe not just study for three years, maybe study for seven or eight, progressively moving up the chain, you know, take a degree part-time over five, six years, and then wait to do, the, do the post-grad diploma and the honours for another two or three years. And then after that, move into the master's. What you've got are people earning while they're learning instead of a massive burden on people not earning um, while they go to university. So we, we need to think very, very carefully about our educational model. And think of it in terms of building a prosperous society, not in terms of of you know what our sacred concepts are about historic education. All that's been thrown out the window now.
0: Well, unprecedented times uh, ahead, Jonathan Foster Pedley. Thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. Uh, he's the dean and director of Henley Business School Africa. Thank you so much for making the time and for sharing your insights.
1: Oh, thank you very much. It's a privilege to talk to you, and and obviously everything I say is just an opinion. I don't know any better than anybody else. But but I think that is the point. You know, we all we we should stop being devoted to experts, and we should start to bet ourselves and bet our consciences on our consciences, and we start to come together to try and build a better south africa because we really can i mean this is this is a doable project very really tough but it's doable so let's now seize this moment to to, to turn the tables and, and move upwards and recover from this in the strongest possible way we can and in a more collective and humane fashion
0: uncharted water for all of us and we, we, we're going to see how it all unfolds i look forward to uh, chatting to you again in the in the not so distant future and uh, and see what uh, reality faces us uh, then
1: yes and and just on the sme thing we're actually going to launch next week free sessions online at Henley business school so smaller medium enterprises who need to talk to international experts on digitization on cash flow etc those ones who are struggling we're offering a completely free service online go to the Henley website And you can just come and listen every day to different lectures, which I hope will really, really help. One of our contributions was natural recovery. And all our innovations in in virtual learning that we've done, we've learned in this period, we um, are offering to share completely free with all other higher education institutions in South Africa and other business schools. And we'll also run programs on those. We have to work together now to create a better context for the future. Thank you
0: so much, Jonathan. Well, that's it for another episode. Thank you once again to my guest for today do make sure to take a listen to the other conversations in the series available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and SoundCloud. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a review or rating. You can now also support the Sandton Times podcast directly to help us do more of what we do. All the details are on soundcloud.com forward slash Times. May you recover strong and stay safe.